welcome to the Sports Honchos Radio Show, part of the Go Sports Media Company Radio Network. We're hoping you're here because you've just about had it with everyone and everything else, and you're looking for a pair of good-looking guys to tell it like it is, like it was, and how it should be. Or maybe you've got nothing else to do right now and you just need to waste some time. Either way, you might as well turn it up because it's time for the boys to get in your face, under your skin, over the top, and out of bounds. And now, here are your honchos, Paul Cuthbert and Robert Cuny. Well, good morning, Mr. Cuny. Good morning, Mr. Cuthbert. Let's go! Sunday morning live edition of your favorite sports honchos. Yes, baby, it's true. We're back. Your show, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here on Long Island, the great state of New York. It's time to bring on your favorite honcho and mine from the great state of Maryland, Mr. Robert Cuny. And greetings and salutations, everybody. As the great Lionel Richie once sang, I am easy, easy like Sunday morning. And of course, <sighs> Anyone for penis? Oh, come just thought on. I'd throw that in there. Just thought I'd throw that in there for Although, this is the one I meant to hit. I meant to hit this one. <laughs> yeah, when I said I'm easy like Sunday morning. Because we were 10 seconds into the show and I mentioned Lionel Richie and penis. So, sorry, everyone. But, yes, here we are back. We know yeah. we've started now, although we didn't really tell anybody. Uh, we started our, our new summer hours. <laughs> You know, a little less regular, like we all are when we get this old, and, um, you know, a little less formal. Uh, and you can tell because I, I forgot to bring my bell. I, I'm bellless, so you know, I'll give myself another <laughs> for doing that, so sorry. So I got the Roadcaster though. So we got that going for us, which is nice. So it's Sunday morning, and if anybody <laughs> was listening to this live... Or starting out their day with this, they've gotten the word penis thrown in their face, in their ears already, <laughs> and a big oh. giant buzzer. And wait. and just Welcome to, back, Mr. Cuny. Just to finish the Troika, you know, since it is Sunday morning and both Mr. Cuthbert and I are enjoying a hot beverage, just so you know, it's not method acting. Are you ready? Wait. Mm. Mm, that is coffee-tastic. There you go. Now, if you're not, if you're still listening... You are our best listeners because that was a horrifying run by El Baldo here. Oh, baby. Well, we're back, man. I missed you, pal. How's everything going on down in the uh, the land of Mary? Everything's great. You know, schools. Is that who, it was, na- is that who the state was named after? A woman, a nice young Mary? woman named Mary? I it was named after a queen or a princess, some English royal, because, you know, that's how all these colonies got started. Um, our flag is... As you, as you, but no one else can see behind me, uh, is made up of the family crests of a couple of the, you know, the nobles of Maryland. One oh, being, buddy, you, sh- you shouldn't have told me that. You got to take that flag down. Uh, that's a great flag. Oh, you got, you know, all it's these so ugly. Well, but that, it's well, what, a great flag. What are we? Episode six hundred thirty-three today, and I haven't known this. You need to take that because you know what? Episode you know, they, had, they, they had the Queen Oops. Jubilee over the weekend. The Queen Jubilee. In what is England. You know, and I just get a kick out of the fact that we kicked them out of our country. Kicked mm-hmm. their asses in the we 17 did. somethings many, many moons ago. And here oh. on every TV network and every publication, oh, it's the queen. It's, it's amazing. It's magical. I mean, 
I don't understand. I mean, there's there's tons of hypocrisy in this country, I might add. But that's just a little sickening to me. I, I will tell you why, because I, I'll tell you a little secret. And I want all of you to get closer to the radios now. Um, they're one of our only friends. <laughs> so we have to be nice to them. We have to lift them up in celebration um, because, you know. We kind of need them to – so we're not – it's not just us and Israel. Although if you're going to be with one country in any sort of a fight, uh, Israel's a pretty, pretty good uh, dance partner. But it's nice to have you know, some of the big world powers as our friends. And when I say some, I mean really just one. Well, I guess maybe maybe you know the, the Jubilee this year. Oh, the Jubilees, I like to call it. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's where this country's headed anyway. To a monarchy? Yeah. Wow. Dictatorship. That's you know. a hot take right there. I mean, I mean that's, that's, the, vibe on the, take, that's the vibe on the vibe on certain streams, you know, out there. At the, you know, this country's just nose diving. The elections are going to be a mess. Uh, who knows going to run the country here in a couple of years? I mean, we've no, got what about a half hour left, Rob, of whatever we're doing here. It's all over. We're going to lose the internet. There'll be tanks in the streets. So much to look forward to. Great. Well, good night, everybody. <laughs> it's good morning. Sorry. Good morning, everybody. And we'll see you later. Uh, yeah. So it's over. So we got, you know, half an hour left of uh, the show before the tanks come rolling down the street here. <laughs> That's quite a hot take. So we'll have a queen one day. Not, anyway, the, not the rock band, but, you know, a queen. What a great band. Anyway, that's uh, so now we know why uh, Maryland is called Maryland. Sort of. I, if I had known, you know, I should know the history of my own state, but I know that it was named after land because it's land. Which was taken, I guess, by the Brits, right? Or the Europeans, right? Whatever. You know, troublemakers. <laughs> Nobody and, they, and then we put them on TV and we, we gawk at them like, oh, they're amazing. Like, As my us- students say, if it happened, you know, before the 21st century, we don't care, Mr. Cuny. Yeah. So uh, were you watching the uh, European Championship? No. No, I didn't think so. You're not much of a soccer guy, are you? No, you haven't. You haven't figured that out yet after 60 episodes. Yeah. Guess what? This this kind of a soccer guy. Yeah, <laughs> didn't watch it either. <laughs> okay, good job. I'll tell you what I did watch <laughs> since the last time we got on the microphone, which was I think two or three years ago. Uh, have you seen? Hopefully, have you seen Maverick yet? No, because I'm I'm waiting for that's like I'm gonna have to go to that by myself because. You know, I'm a huge Tom Cruise kind of guy. There's two guys out there that, you know, I have man crushes on. Right. You know, I'm, and I'm holding my heart right now as I say this. <laughs> and that's Tom Cruise and Mr. Brad Pitt. Okay? Wow. So, um, no, I ha- no, I haven't seen it Good yet. Good choices. And I, I've been, but I've been, and I've been, I'm a big military guy and uh, our Air Force is amazing. And uh, I follow a lot of Air Force guys. I just started following an Air uh the um, Top Gun guys, retired guys podcasts. Um, so I've been checking all this out, getting some feedback from these guys before they've seen it all that all that stuff. But I'm excited. Anyway, I I want to see it in a movie theater, and I just haven't had the time yet. But I plan to go in there in the dark, all alone, so I can weep and cry. Well, uh, you actually, it's funny you say weep and cry. I mean, it's not a crying kind of movie, but you know, there's a couple of things that will. Tug at you emotionally um, without. Is it good, Robert? Because it's things. it's done oh, over two hundred million in sales already. It's not it's the sustained box office means it's not. It didn't just do big business because of the curiosity factor. 
Um, it's very, very good. Just a, a sprinkling of nostalgia, just enough to remind people that it is a sequel, but it's mostly a standalone um, new story, not just a continuation of here's where we left off 36 years ago. And now, you know, we'll pick it up the next day as though time hasn't passed. It really is. So it's an, it's a modern era time. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And you can tell that there's not a lot of fakery. I mean, there's, you know, real planes and some, you know, actors really up in the air. Um, Some people doing their own stunts, some not, obviously there is some CGI and some Hollywood fakery, but it, it looks, the whole thing looks very authentic. Authentic like this? And yes, you're holding up a plane. I'm not sure that was one of the planes. Oh, you got to break my heart. They didn't use the uh, A-10 Warthog in the... Uh... I don't think so. A lot of, a lot of F-14s and F-18s. Yeah, that's my favorite Air Force bird right there, is the yeah. Warthog. You don't want to uh, hear or see that thing coming to you. If, yeah. if you're on the ground and this plane is coming towards you, um, I don't know, say a prayer. Okay. Um, Miles Teller is great as Goose's son and Jennifer Conley, who still looks like she hasn't aged at all in about 20 years. She's very good in it. And uh, the new, a lot of the new faces playing the, the new group of cadets at Top Gun School. And yes, a nice appearance from Val Kilmer, despite all, all of his... Val. All right, well, don't ruin the movie for me anymore, okay? Just, you know who's in it. I'm not telling you By anything. the way, who are, we, uh, who are we fighting in this one? Is it the Russians or the ah, Chinese? See, see, they're so clever. Those Top Gun people, the producers, you don't really know. It's no, it's just an unnamed quote country. Um, I don't think they mention specifically, just like in the first one, you don't know who the enemy is. They're but from, I will tell you this: they're from the country it, unobtainium, like in. Uh, yeah. what was that? Not, it's not Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> that um, was in uh, what's his face is. Uh, oh my God, Avatar. Oh. Remember oh. the the product was called Unobtainium. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's it's it might as well be. It might as well be the Avatar planet because it's just an unnamed, an unnamed enemy. Now, as I said, because we have so few friends, it could be any number of countries. We'll just and but if you watch the movie, you you're like, hmm, I can narrow it down to a select handful of countries that this enemy could possibly be. So I will leave it at that. But. Uh, it's good. It's very, very good. Again, just the right amount of nostalgia. Uh, mostly new stuff. And, you know, Tom Cruise, as somebody said, much smarter than me, which is not hard to find. Um, the difference between this one and the first one is Sam Carey's playing the same character, but now Tom Cruise can actually act. So it makes hey, all the- Hey, he's always been able to act. Don't you no. knock on my boy, okay? From the, from the end scene, from his performance in the movie Taps, okay? Thank Why? you. I love that movie. Nobody talks about that movie in great Tom Cruise flicks. Tom Cruise, Sean Penn, George C. Scott. Great movie. I own that movie, by the way. That movie Fantastic. was phenomenal. Timothy Hutton. And, yeah. a, and a kid from my town, a little small town here in East Rockaway on Long Island. Um, Brendan. Oh, my God. Frazier? I'm just no, 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 no. Uh, this is terrible. Anyway, Brendan lived up the road here on Ocean Avenue, and he, was, he started it. He's actually the little kid. That gets shot at the end. Spoiler alert. That's him. And that causes uh, Tom Cruise to just have an epic scene. 
Tom Cruise played such Holden, a holding the M60 machine yeah. gun. Just he played such a such a meathead. You know, yes, and he played it well. That was really good. That's a movie I, I mentioned. People were like, what? I mean, it was 1981, so it was oh record whiskey business. And uh, so yeah, if you haven't seen it, 41 years. I think the spoiler alert statute of limitations has run. Yeah, people well, die. Too bad. You people still gotta that, watch it anyway, right? Because you know anybody. I, the guy right. I just met. Nobody knows who he is. Yep. I didn't name the character's name, so you're still not going to know which kid it is. Right. So there's the suspense. Go watch Taps. The, the great Ronnie Cox is also in it. It's just it's chock full of people you know. It is. It's a it's a great flick, and we recommend it to everybody. So uh, before we wrap this little TV media thing up, I have to ask you, Mister um, Star Wars, <laughs> did you did you get into Obi Wan yet? I actually chose to go the Stranger Things route before Obi Wan. That's next. <sighs> So I have one episode left of the first part of Stranger Things, and then I'll be on to uh, to Obi Wan, and, and of course Amazon just slapped me in the face with a new season of The Boys. So it's just the TV never stops. All right, here. Stranger Things I haven't watched yet, and I haven't watched The Boys. Are both of those good programs? Yes, The Boys is. Uh, you so you haven't you haven't watched any of Stranger Things, or just no watched? Okay, well you'll like Stranger Things as you're a sci-fi a sci-fi and horror guy, and because you're a man who's just as old as I am, you'll remember movies from the '80s, um, the way that the the sci-fi and horror flicks look and sound. Um, and when you watch Stranger Things, the first thing that'll hit you is, yeah, these guys they they nailed it when they're trying to recreate what it was like to be a middle schooler and a high school kid in the '80s. Um, just the way the movie is shot, the music, the way it looks, even the title sequence, even though it was made. A few years ago, it looks like it's was made, you know, in the early 1980s. So, all right, man, it's good. It's okay. really good. Um, creepy, disturbing, you know, like life. Well, I have an extra 400 hours. I'll I'll plug it in. I'll and the voice is uh is subversive superheroes. <laughs> awesome. With the great Carl Urban or Cal Urban, uh, you know, bones from the Chris Pine era Star Trek movies. Yeah. Well, so far, uh, Ewan McGregor is doing a pretty darn good job with this Obi-Wan thing, mm-hmm. and primarily because there's been no sightings of Boba Fett and no sightings of that little fake puppet, Goga Google, whatever his name is. Grogu? Baby Yoda? Good. There's no Google Gaga yet. Yeah, that makes it all the best. But it's all right. All right, pal. Well, love. But wait. Wait. What? Sorry, before you launch into any sort of music, if we're going to, while we're on the subject of Hollywood and television, we have to, you know, pay tribute to the passing of Ray Liotta. Oh, that's my bad. And you did bring this up in the pre-show notes. Yeah, last week. Well, look, uh, we haven't been on the air in a month, so. Yeah, we're a little rusty. Yeah. But that's okay. You okay. know, Ray Liotta passed away, 67 years old. Um, he was filming a movie somewhere out of the United States, and I think he died in his sleep. I'm not really sure what the cause of death was, but 67, uh, way too young. And most people will remember, uh, first of all, most people remember the the eyes of Ray Liotta. Um, those, that was really the star, not Ray Liotta himself, but just his eyes going from uh, calm and controlled to the, the coked-out, blurry-eyed, manic Ray Liotta, someone who could go from zero to 60 just like that. In fact, I have a clip um, from one of his movies in which you hear he just goes from calm and collected to completely off the rails without missing a beat. 
Uh, most people remember him from Goodfellas, of course, as Henry Hill. And the clip that's you know making all the rounds is either the clip where he says, all my life I wanted to be a gangster, or the end of Goodfellas where he talks about ordering spaghetti and marinara sauce and getting egg noodles and ketchup and lamenting that he has to live the rest of his life as a schnook. And by the way, you know, you bring that up. I think one of the beauties about Goodfellas and about, you know, Leota's performance, obviously, uh, you know, as an actor in, in the scenes, his job as a narrator during that movie really ties everything in. So there's there's a ton of, you know, performance that Ray puts into that movie where he's not acting. He's just actually, he's pretending to be this guy telling the story. So I think that was brilliance in itself in terms of how he narrates the movie from scene to scene and, you know, from time period to time period during the, uh, it's the a, whole uh, production. The whole movie is fantastic. And then right before that movie, um, another movie that a billion people have seen, uh, Field of Dreams, even though he wasn't the star of that movie, he plays uh, Shoeless Joe. Yes, in, great flick. Um, and it's, it's before Henry Hill. So you watch that and you, you have no idea. It's funny if that movie comes out after Goodfellas, you're like, Hey, it's Henry Hill in a white Sox uniform. But, um, he plays a much more controlled character for me. The best thing that he ever did was the, toward the end of Goodfellas where he's that, that really bad days having where he's trying to make spaghetti sauce and pick up cocaine. He's driving along. He's looking at helicopters, following him along. It's just a great manic uh, scene that he's in dude uh, to this day to this day okay mm-hmm. whenever like i have a conversation hey how was your day today you know and if i have one of those crazy days i always turn around and say oh man it was like uh, i had one of those ray liotta m- uh, moments yeah. at the end of the movie in goodfellas you know yeah Just it's, exactly it's, how it's read it because that encompasses how nuts that day was you know and then you can i always use that as a metaphor of like if i have a crazy day Oh, I, I mean, was like really old today. Yeah, you feel just as tense and anxious as the character on the screen does. But I chose a clip um, from a movie that actually I just introduced uh, Grace to this past Friday. Maybe you've seen the movie Copland um, with Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel and uh, Robert Patrick um, and Michael Rappaport about the town of Garrison, New Jersey, which is where a bunch of cops have moved out of the city to live in a uh, mob-controlled town and Ray Liotta plays a cop who's sort of on the fringe of the bad element of that and also stars Sylvester Stallone yep, fat great Sylvester movie. Stallone yep. as a, a completely cast against type he's not the hero he's not the guy who's going to save the day well he sort of saves the day but he's just kind of a dumpy pushover kind of a cop who, he's you the know, guy who eats terribly yeah everybody <laughs> just you know kind of shits on him in this movie um and so in this clip it's Ray Liotta's philosophy about moving through the city, what he calls moving diagonally, but it also could be extrapolated out, a philosophy for life. So I'm going to play that for you now. Let's put 40 seconds of gold from uh, Ray Liotta. All right. Brother's in deep shit. He's down, he's bleeding, and you got to get there. But there's lights, right? All over the city, red lights. You go through the red lights. Sure, you fire up the roof, you wail, you go through the red lights, but that's slow. Freddy fighting your way through traffic. The goal is perpetual motion. You move diagonal. You turn the wheel when you hit a red light. But you don't drive down Broadway to get to Broadway. But how does this apply to what you were saying? Inside? It applies, Freddy! It's just as easy to tell a man walking in front of him. 
Now, you butt heads with these friends of ours, you're going to come at them head on? Okay. They got lives, Freddy. Families. No. You move diagonal. You jag. That's uh, Ooh, good. The dramatic parts. music there at the yeah. end. That's, I forgot about the dramatic swell of music. So, <laughs> and, and in that scene again, he's talking to him very calmly, and then in the second, like a split second, he goes to the wide-eyed, um, totally deranged Ray Liotta. He was a great actor. Um, made a lot of movies after that mid '90s run, like with between Field of Dreams and Copland. Made some good movies, then kind of disappeared. And did some paycheck movies, showed up in a couple guest spots on TV. But, you know, if he had just done Field of Dreams, Something Wild, and which he did before Field of Dreams, and Goodfellas, done. It's quite a run. You would say this is one of the great actors of our time. So he will be missed 67, way too young. Um, and there you have it. There you have it. But it isn't always sports Hall of Famers that seem to die right when we're about to do a show. It's... Hollywood Hall of Famers as well. Well, nice job there, Mr. Cuny. Thank you. Bravo. I try. Bravo on that. I like it. And I'll uh, miss Ray. And, you know, or I always liked him. as a, there's, um, If anybody hasn't seen it yet, he also played a small role in a recent movie there a couple of years ago, uh, The Marriage Story, I believe, is on Netflix. Oh, yes. Good. Very good movie. He's one of the parents, right? No, he is a lawyer. Oh, Okay. You know, and Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson. That yeah, in the beginning, Adam Driver doesn't hire him because he's trying to go an old route, and then okay. um, he he brings him back, and he just has a couple of great scenes in that as well too. So, hey. and don't forget his Shantrix commercials, which I think were anti-smoking <laughs> pills. I <laughs> so he he did it all. Oh yes, he did. All right, pal. So, uh, who wore it well this week? This week, who you mean? Our this week. Our- it's Our been a one name segment. It took a. It's been a month in between uh, showgrams here, but who who's wearing it well today, pal? All right, so it is episode sixty, the big six zero. So I give oh, you. Oh man, I didn't get a cake. Former Cleveland Brown great Otto Everett Graham Jr. quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Now he wore number fourteen also, but he started his illustrious career. As a quarterback, wearing number 60, which you'll never see today. In today's fabulous NFL, um, Otto Graham, who was one of the earliest of the masters of the forward pass, and we're talking late 40s and early 50s, in addition to having great statistics and you know being a seven-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time Player of the Year in both the All-American Football Conference, which at the time was even better than the NFL, and then it got absorbed by the NFL. But what makes him so special is he was Tom Brady and LeBron James before both those guys were even born. In his 10 years, 10 years, he played 10 years in the AAFC in the NFL. Would you like to know how many championship games he went to in those 10 years? No, but you can tell me. That'd be 10. (laughs) It was 10 for 10. He was starting in his rookie year in 1946 and ending in 1955 which he, he didn't begin his career with a championship, but he ended it by winning the championship. That came out of retirement to win one more championship. So in those 10 years that he went to the championship game, he won hmm, only seven. Only? Seven, seven of 10. 
So, and now I'm not, not to suggest that he really is the best quarterback of all time, better than Tom Brady or, or Unitas or Elway or Montana, but you know, 10 years in the league, 10 championship games, pretty, pretty good and winning seven of them. Even if you won zero of them, you made it there every year. And for Cleveland, for all of our Cleveland listeners, yeah, there was a time when Cleveland wasn't a sad, sad football town or sports town. You know, again, 10 for 10. So um, I have for a uh, for a clip, uh, last year the NFL did their 100th anniversary, uh, 100 greatest players uh, special with hosted by Rich Eisen and Bill Belichick, who actually shows a smidge of personality, unlike when he's doing his post-game press conferences. So you're going to hear Rich Eisen introduce him. Then you hear Belichick talk about how great a player Otto Graham was. And at the very end, Chris Collinsworth just is sort of standing there like a dope while everyone else is talking. And at the very end, Chris Collinsworth throws in a meaningless comment just to let everybody know, hey, hey, I'm actually here too. So we'll play this little, give you some, a professional look at one Otto Everett Graham Jr., our next quarterback was the fourth overall pick of the 1944 draft, Otto Graham, who played 10 seasons for the Cleveland Browns and appeared in 10 straight league championship games. He was also a member of the National Football League's 75th anniversary team. So he makes the 75 team and the 100 team. Well, Otto Graham was the first player uh, taken by Paul Brown when he became the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And that was a pretty good pick. Um, Single-wing tailback All-American out of Northwestern. Uh, so Otto could could throw uh, as well as run, and he was able to escape the pocket. Uh, he was tough. Otto was tough and could uh, run, pick up first downs, make yardage in the open field. Uh, you had to tackle him. He wasn't a quarterback. This guy could, you know, had good playing strength. Here you can see uh, his downfield accuracy. Uh, Otto had great leadership uh, and seemed to always play his best in big moments. That's Dante Lavelli, one of his favorite targets there. You know, he continued his uh, his football career as a coach and athletic director at Coast Guard Academy. He actually uh, coached against me when I was in college at Wesleyan. Graham was a special player, and, and, and not just the statistics, but the championships that he won. He had great leadership, uh, great ability, and this is his final game, beating the Rams for the championship and coming off the field, Coach Brown, uh, giving him the, the opportunity to come off, be recognized by, by the fans, by the team. And the crowd loved him. There was Collinsworth at the end with his, and the crowd. Well, that, that's the most important part. Yeah. Right so a there. couple things there. One, I love when he said he was tough. He wasn't really a quarterback. When Belichick said he wasn't really a quarterback, meaning, you know, quarterbacks are soft. Well, then know. the other guy says, you know, uh, he could throw, yeah. he could run, which is Pretty much qualifications to not only be a number one, you have to be able to run to play in football, but right. you have to be able to throw to be a quarterback. So the analysis there was just absolutely top notch. Well, but back then, back in the 40s and 50s, throwing the ball wasn't the premium talent for even for a quarterback that it is once you get to the late 60s, 70s. They threw it a lot, though, still. They maybe didn't throw it all the way downfield, but they still. There were yeah. tons of short pattern throws back then that you had to get out of the pocket and get it over the the defensive and offensive lines. But was, he yeah, he was the kind of athlete that we take for granted now that our quarterbacks are back then, back when, you know, guys weren't as in shape 
as they are now. Back when guys like Len Dawson would spend half time in the locker room drinking a fresca and smoking a cigarette, which, of course, is how everyone should spend their time between halves. And, <laughs> and why most of those guys aren't around anymore. Right. Um, and actually, I, and one thing he did mention his coaching career. He actually made, uh, Otto Graham made the Coast Guard Academy football team a respectable competitive football team. We're not talking West Point. We're not talking about the Naval Academy or even the Air Force Academy schools that historically have really good football programs. We're talking about the Coast Guard Academy. Well, you know, I mean, with all due respect to the Coast Guard, it is a smaller branch Right. Of Not the their, their uh, collective armed forces of the United States of America. So the the, the 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 pool of talent really isn't there for them to kind of, right. you know. It's unfortunate because it would be great to have a Coast Guard Bowl. Might as it well. 7,000 bowls every year anyway, so. Everyone else has a bowl game. Why not the Coast Guard? We should have a – wait till the Honchos Bowl. Wait till we sponsor oh. a college bowl game. The One Sports day. Honchos Bowl. That sounds amazing. And we we got to make do, it happen. We can do the coin flip. <laughs> we can now, go out there and, and now coming out yeah. to midfield your favorite honchos <laughs> yikes scary um all right well so there you go there's who wore it best for old episode number 60 and uh some point before fall we'll have episode 61 so stay nice tuned nice job mr cutie but as you know the band is here and we are yes. ready they're a little but they're dusty <laughs> All right, so we have actually two new stories and two, you know, I like lists and and thought-provoking surveys, although it's not really a survey. It's a survey I created, but two stories and then two, what I'll just call others. So first of all, the first two stories, headline, safe place, Australian Museum defends allowing man in lingerie to play with Legos at a children's event. And I wish... I wish you could see the pictures of this gentleman with his face no, blown no, out. No, I don't want to see the no. pictures. Nobody wants to see these pictures. I wish everybody could have seen my reaction to that. With his <laughs> face blown out. The Australian Museum in Sydney has defended offering a, quote, safe place where everyone feels welcome after a man wearing women's lingerie was photographed playing with Legos next to children. The photos were taken at a Knights at the Museum event and were shared to Twitter by a user with the handle at Sydney Radfem. Earlier this month, they show a man wearing black fishnet stockings, pink boots, and women's underwear sitting with another person wearing a top hat. <laughs> Sorry, that's just a top hat. Where, where is this again? Was this in Maryland? In Sydney, Australia. Close. Oh, it's close. It's all both on planet Earth. Um Playing with Lego blocks surrounded by young children. You let a male in fetish gear, I didn't know laundry was fetish gear, uh, play in the kids' Lego pit during the school holidays, the woman said. When I spoke to security, they said they could do nothing and pointed me to the organizer. He's sitting there with his full package out. Disgusting. That's what the Twitter user said. The woman's She's, account appears to have. He said full package? Yes, have since deleted. <laughs> Twitter user wrote, man in fetish clothes wants to play with children in the museum. Or um, Now, this is terrible English. So I'm going to read it exactly as it appears. Quote, man in fetish clothes wants to play with children and the museum are too chicken to remove him. I'm shocked. I'll add parenthetically shocked again. 
that the parents didn't pick him up by the hair and kick him into next week. He was poking the hornet's nest. Another user said, quote, back in the day, I worked on an adventure playground and this Herbert uh, must be some sort of Australian put down uh, would have been ejected from it in double quick time. And then they go on to show, of course, all the pictures, all the faces have been blotted out uh, in the story. They have. Uh, for the children, some emojis of smiley faces and some emojis of the eye roll and some of the frowny face emojis. Um, I continue. I'm not sure what to make of this. I encourage you to go and have a look at the photos. It looks creepy to me. Um, in a statement shared with news.com.au, a spokesman said the Australian Museum is, quote, committed to being a safe place where everyone feels welcome. The safety of our visitors and staff is our top priority, and we have policies, procedures, security, and Australian Museum staff in place to ensure this. The images shared by the Sydney Radfem Twitter account on Tuesday, May the 3rd, were taken nearly three weeks earlier at approximately 8 p.m., blah, blah, blah. Multiple members of our security and programming teams spoke with her on the evening following the concerns she raised regarding two people wearing what they call, I say parenthetically, fancy dress. The fancy, team's investigated confirmed individuals in fancy dress were keeping to themselves and had not interacted with anyone else in the area that was open to all. The Australian Museum teams confirmed this with Sydney Radfem, who stayed until the end of the evening with her own child. Other children in the area were supervised by their own parents, and we received no complaints other than the one raised by, quote, Sydney Radfem on the night. The Australian Museum fully addressed Sydney Radfem's complaint on the night of the event to ensure all visitors feel comfortable at future nights of the museum events. The brick play pit will be designated as a children's area only. So there you go, my friend. Thank you for that long and extended yeah, pardon the pun. headline. They got to get their act together in Australia. But then again, they, us Americans, who are we to throw that around by saying really? something like, get your act together? Yeah. Ah, 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 ah. Pretty hard. Okay, next story. Quote, uh, look, it's Florida from the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Northport Here we go. <laughs> dies after falling into septic tank. Well, that's a common practice, unfortunately. Hold on now. Oh, that's a, uh, wait for it. That's a real shitty way to die. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a 74-year-old Northport woman died last week after falling into her septic tank, according to the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office. According to Northport Public Information Officer Josh Taylor, the woman was last seen the evening of Monday, May the 9th at roughly 6 p.m. The next morning, the woman's daughter called in a wellness check to the Sarasota County Sheriff's Department, and upon arrival at her house on Andalusia Street, deputies found the woman's body in the septic tank. It's not 100% clear on whether the lid to the septic tank had caved in previously and there was a hole and she fell into the hole or it was weak and just her stepping onto it caused it to completely give out where she fell in. Sheriff deputies were the first in the scene as many in the Northport Police Department attended a funeral for recently deceased Northport officer. When deputies arrived on the scene, the woman's hose was running, leading investigators to believe the woman was watering her garden when the septic tank collapsed. I just, you know, at a certain point, in life, I just hate to hear when shit happens. Stop like gardening. That. Just stop gardening. Yeah. Hire someone else to do it. Well, not everybody has the means. I'm just kidding. You know, it's, this is why I don't like to garden. But maybe, maybe you post a couple of those, you know, like when my guy comes to do the sprinklers and sometimes we have, you know, we do some landscaping and stuff in the back and sometimes the, the, the you know, the sprinkler heads get covered. Mm -hmm. It takes a little long, thin wire and he puts a little red flag. Here it is. Maybe Here's your septic. That. Here's your septic. I think somebody would have, I mean, there's no, I don't know how long the woman was living in this house, but 
you think at some point there'd be some sort of demarcation, as you said, that, hey, there's a septic tank right here. Don't walk on it. Don't water it. Don't step. Please, careful with the septic tank. All right, so that's it for the, the news stories. Now, this next story is from the Tampa Bay Times. Not really a news story, but it's a question that I have for you. Are you a dog owner? Oh, my God. I have, yes. the, greatest, I have the greatest dog in the world, but go ahead. Okay. So the headline from the story um, is a question I was going to ask you. Is it okay to put dog poop in a neighbor's trash can? And no, 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 and no. Why not? I'm it's just I'm playing devil's advocate here. Well, first of all, if you do that, you're an absolute loser. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I live on a very, I'm lucky to live on a very nice residential block. And I am very respective to our neighbors. And I actually take my pup away. I and I always try and avoid anybody's front lawn mm-hmm. or anything for peas, for number ones and number twos, Mr. Cutie. Well, uh, and I do bring a bag. I'm not one of those people who brings the disgusting pooper scooper and then the poop stays on it and then the stench follows you all the way home as you walk home. You need to use bags. I mean, whoever. And I mean, I don't I don't understand that. So I will come back and my dog's poop always goes into our garbage can. Now, and there's a school here by us and there's a dumpster and you could chuck it in there if you want it. I mean, that, you know, want. But no, that's a big no, 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 no. And if you do that, you're a tool. The same, right. the same tools, which I was behind last night going to my uh, gigs and people throwing crap out of their cars. It's just, I, people suck. Go on. Go on. Oh, Sorry. So I'm now I'm getting mad. Go ahead. I'm asking just for information purposes because I, I agree that you should, whenever possible, put it in your own trash can. Now, when Grace and I walk river in my neighborhood, there's public, you know, trash cans in her neighborhood. There's a whole area where you put trash and recyclables. So there really is no neighbor's trash, sort of. There is more so in my neighborhood. Um, but I, I remember I was walking. There's an elementary school across the street from my neighborhood, and I was walking river around the elementary school. She pooped. I put a bit in the bag, and I'm like, there's a trash can right there, right in front of the school. And I thought about it for a second. I thought, no. mm, I just, just felt too guilty about it. But no, no. So I personally believe the same thing you do. But then again, I'm thinking it's all – you're not putting it in the neighbor's house. You're not putting it on the neighbor's porch. It's just going in the same trash can with a bunch of other smelly pieces of garbage. And I'm not suggesting – Oh, but dog poo is a different yucky. level. Just wondering, though, why not just throw it in a can with trash that's just going to be dumped into a landfill anyway? Because it's in a public area, okay? And especially now, it's spring, summer, and the heat. And, you know, unless you know your local sanitation company's schedule, who knows how long. And those public ones, they usually let them sit for a couple of days because they don't pick it up until it Not the public. I'm talking about in your neighbor's trash can. Like when my neighbor's trash cans are out, it's because the trash is being picked up that day. So now I thought you were asking me about the public. No, no, no. The the one in the school – that's different. It's a public trash now, can. Now, you're continuing it's, on, and you're going to go get ice cream or something or dinner with your dog. I mean, maybe you consider but I'm, no, I'm, I'm just heading it. home. I'm just asking you about, not about the public trash cans, but just about your neighbor's trash cans. On the way which, back. On the way back, which are going to be emptied anyway. They're not. They're no, out. I just they're told you, never, no, never, ever. Okay. I'm just wondering why. Don't tell me you've done this, Mr. Cutie. No. 
I haven't. I'm just wondering Good why. I our relationship feel, was about to take a turn. Just for me, it just feels weird. It feels weird for me to put any trash in any in another person's trash. Well, turn it around. I always, always I always say to people, put yourself in someone else's shoes. So if you're sitting out in your front porch and mm-hmm. you've got the garbage out and you on on the curb or whatever, you see somebody come along with their dog. Now, number one, if they drop chow right there in front of you, that's mm-hmm. a no-no. Okay. But number two, if they had a bag and they lifted up your garbage can and they dropped something in there, how would you feel? Uh, any trash or just dog poop? Well, yeah. Well, dog poop is up on the level of no. I don't know. I, but I, I wouldn't put it, any. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't put any trash. If the only it was, trash I put in a neighbor's can is if the can knocked over their can and I'm walking by and right. I help them out and I lift it up and I put their own trash back in their can. Yeah, I I look. I think if I saw somebody putting just regular, if my can was out in the, my can, my ass, my trash can was out at the end of the driveway waiting for pickup, and somebody came by and just threw like a, you know, a paper or bottle bag, whatever, I don't know, I, I might feel a little, it might be a little weird, but I wouldn't mind. Dog poop, I would mind just on a philosophical, fundamental level, which is why I don't, you, you've answered I told you, I don't put trash in other people's cans, I even know, if it's I not know. dog poop. It just feel, I, I can't tell you why definitively. I just it feels wrong. It just feels it is strange. wrong, and that's why people know. like me and you are saving this country. Well, if that if that's what's keeping that, this country that, that easy. That's what's keeping this country together. Right, people who don't put their dog poop in other people's trash cans. Yeah, again, I can't. If you said to me why not, I wouldn't be able to give you a a, a, a good reason, a literate reason, other than it just feels wrong. It feels icky. And as for other trash that's not dog poop, it still feels not quite right, but I don't feel quite as uncomfortable. Well, you got to ask yourself, if you have any kind of trash in your hand, right, and it's your neighbor's, that means you must be pretty close to your own residence. Well, so not my neighbor's. Walk when I say neighbor's, if, if, if it's a trash can that's not near my house, but it's clearly somebody's trash can, um, you know, there might have been once or twice in my life where I've had some trash in my hand I walked by like uh, an apartment complex where there's trash cans or someone's house. I might have chucked it in there, but normally I just there's something. I don't know, especially with dog poop. Wouldn't do it. I just can't, would uh, not do it. Well, Although look, I mean, I am glad they were picking up after their dogs at least. Well, Even I mean, that that's the, the trash can. That's the battle. You, that's the battle you really got to fight, Rob. That's the yeah. battle. You know, because yeah. that's Too many people don't. I mean, we have in my neighborhood, I don't know about your neighborhood, in my neighborhood we have a... Uh, ah, see, I got a great question for you now. Dog, we have a dog station where they have bags and a trash can. So even if you're, you're out walking your dog, you're like, oh, I, I don't have any more poop bags. They have poop well, that's bags. a community that cares. Uh, right. And still people leave their dog shit all over the, the place, which is really annoying and lazy. Yes, go ahead. What is your question for me? If you're walking your dog mm-hmm. and you come to a spot that you usually go to and you find another dog's droppings there, do you pick that up in addition to your own dogs, or do you pick your own dog's droppings and move on? I got to be honest with you. Uh, there have been a couple, there's most of the time, if not 99% uh, of the time, I'm just a pick up my own dog's poop sort of guy. I know I probably should pick up all the poop. It doesn't, I don't see it very often. Now, what if there's somebody behind you walking behind you, right? Just an average person. They don't have a dog. You're in front of them. Your dog drops chow. And then you pick up your dog's droppings and you move on. But now maybe that person behind you sees that you're walking a dog. But at the time you pick up your own poop, 
They look down at their phone. Now they right. continue forward and they walk up upon the other dog's poop. And now right. they think that you are the guy right. that didn't pick up his own dog's poop. And now you are the pariah of the town. Wow. That, that's that's that never happened question. before. But I will tell you, when I pick up poop, this is a great conversation, by oh, the way. This is going I, to the National Archives, okay. this conversation. My, my, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not a, I don't hide my light under a basket. I proudly display to the whole world as I'm walking <laughs> that I've, I got a bag of shit here. I'm a picker-upper. So even if this person behind me is looking at their phone and, and, and thinks oh, that I, I was derelict in my duties, ah, I said duty. I, where's my bell? I've got a bag. Buddy. Be fully extended. Buddy. This is our last honcho show, by the way, because I just came up with our million-dollar idea. The you know how they get those buttons? I just voted, or I just yeah. got my vaccine. I just picked up. I just picked up my dog's poop. There you there go. go. That's Millions. a solid. Millions of dollars right there. I'll, I'll give you one of these. <laughs> yeah, oh, a, come on. No, it's, it's a I'm great I'm going to do it on my own. I'm oh, going to do it on wrong, my own. I hit the wrong button. What I meant was, there you go. Do you remember that? This is so funny. I, I'm, we apologize, folks, for this extension of dog poop. But do you remember that Ben Stiller and um, uh, what's his uh, name? Black. Um, Jack. Remember? Jack Black had that movie. And he came up with the, the spray. There's a comedy. It was like a quiet comedy. Is it Along Came Polly? Is that the movie? No, it's not Along Came Polly. It was like a movie that they kind of put off on the side or something. But it's Ben Stiller. And Jack Black and like Jack, both guys. Jack Black comes up with a spray mm-hmm. that disintegrates dog poop. Wow. And Ben Stiller tells him he's crazy. He asks him to come in on the idea, and he tells him he's nuts. He's, he's like his neighbor. He doesn't really like him, whatever. Long right. story short, uh, Jack Black goes on become this multimillionaire because it takes off and it sells and stuff. And then, obviously, there's always a dark ending to the movie. But um, there you go. You know what I'm saying? So, um <laughs> what a what a discussion this has been, my friend. This has been great. Uh, now, if only, yeah, that would be a great idea, especially for your shoes. Well, all right, are we going to do this because that no, just, I, I just I have stepped. I'm sure we've all stepped on a lot of things. It's still the number one worst thing to ever step in. Uh, yeah, it just is. It just is. I mean, I'd be me and you could be on that that you know that that meme, the guy at the campus, and he's and he's standing there at the table, and he has a sign in front. And we would have that sign. Stepping on dog poop is the worst thing you could ever step on. Prove me wrong. Or tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. You couldn't. No. It's, um, ugh. And you can't even, like, you know, rub your foot in the grass to kind of uh, rise you gotta, up. You got you to gotta be nearby a hose. If you ain't yeah. near a hose and a, and a place that could distribute that awful residue into a place that would not affect the environment. I mean, it's a problem. I mean, yes. stepping in dog poo is is a major problem. It it'll ruin your day, change it your will. plans, cancel yep. family vacations. Really awful. All right. Now speaking, speaking of poop. Yeah, speaking of poop and really awful. Here's my last story for you. This is a <laughs> uh, another one of those lists. You know, I'm a list guy. I love the uh, the who's doing what. Wait till we get to the sports country. section of this sports show. Uh, this is from uh, QS Supplies, a, U- a United Kingdom company that sells bathroom fixtures. And the study was, how many miles of toilet paper do we use in a lifetime? And they don't—they do it by country. So, for instance, um, the United States, and they have, since they're British, they have this weird uh, placement of the commas and such. So bear with me for a moment. Uh, we use... In our lifetime, the average person 
uses, wait for it. If you're somebody from Portugal, it's 11,323 rolls, which is about 643 miles of toilet paper. Okay, so in the United States, um, 63,378, sorry, see, it's that comma again, 633 point, excuse me, 78. Oh, for God's miles sakes, get it right, Cooney. Toilet paper. Well, look, it says 633, comma, 78. And I forget it's the British way of doing things. So let's see. They have a list here of the countries that use the most toilet paper. Um, number one, of course, since they have, you know, billions of people, is China. Okay. And then number two is the United States at, wow, 4 trillion. Well, I'll put it in miles. 2,651,782,602 miles of toilet paper each year. Dude. Each year. That is a lot of toilet paper. I always paper. said uh, diapers and toilet paper are two of the greatest businesses you could be involved in. For China, it's 4 billion miles long, which, as they say, is further than the distance from Earth to Neptune. That's a lot of toilet paper. That's not one square. For the USA, it's 2.65 billion miles where both Germany and Japan use enough toilet paper to stretch out beyond Jupiter. And yet, where does this list go wrong? You know what I'm going to say as we end this segment. There's nothing here about how much toilet paper it would take to reach Uranus. Thank you. (laughs) I'll be here all week. It's a drum button, man. Come on. All the stuff that's in this list and not a one mentions Uranus. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, Good stuff there, there Mr. Cutie. And we will uh, we will spare everybody the long, in-depth uh, rebuttal or conversation as regards to this topic you, of toilet paper. If you want the full list, you can call us at 911. Operator, right. always are standing by. All right, we got we got lots of things to do here on this Sunday, so we got to do a, a really uh, punch gonna, and weave, and or as uh, Ray Liotta said in Cops, we got to go diagonal here. We got to move right? diagonal. That's, right, that's the motto of the show now. Move diagonal. So here we are on this Sunday in June, and we have a little NCAA uh, to talk about. Very little bit, but Rob's got something down here on the pre-show showgram notes, and we're going to fire into it, so... Mr. Cooney, uh, hey, we're finally going to talk sports. What's going on? All right. So uh, over the last uh, several weeks, we have had uh, a debate. I'll call it a debate to be nice um, between Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher and his former boss at the University of Alabama, Nick Saban. Now, it's no it's no uh, mystery. It's no secret that uh, there's not a lot of love lost between both of these coaches. Um, and they were arguing about. Two of the hottest topics in college sports is really what we're going to use this as a sort of a jumping off point to get to that for a few minutes. But uh, about name, image and likeness and essentially uh, buying players. So I have a uh, we actually have a clip of both Saban and uh, Jimbo Fisher arguing about, you know, who's better. Hold on, please. Our, the, the, the H team, our investigative reporters, had microphones live at one of their most recent dust ups. Yeah, that's all right, fine. You want to clock me? You think you can take me? Come on. 
I'm sorry, that was actually uh, that's awesome. Um, but I think if we're going to talk about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, the only music that would be appropriate would be this music playing underneath me. A little, a little family feud music. Um, so anyway, Jimbo Fisher, and Nick Saban accused Jimbo Fisher of buying all of his players at Texas A&M. And as you know, the only coach that's been successful, the only former assistant coach that's been successful against Nick Saban has been, of course, Jimbo Fisher. And they've, again, there's no love loss between these two. And maybe Saban's a little jealous because some of the players that normally he would be able to buy, uh, Jimbo Fisher has actually purchased. And nowhere did Jimbo Fisher say that he wasn't buying all the best players on the rack, as Nick Saban suggested. He just didn't like the fact that Nick Saban was calling him out on it. So before I get to what the real issue here, let's enjoy this just for a second longer. That's enough of that. By the way, one of the rare pieces of music that features a horn section and the banjo. Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, that's great for a nice, that's, that's the family feud theme for those of you wondering. What better for two Southeastern Conference coaches than the family feud theme? Look, this is this is really not about Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. It, those two are the best comedy act in the country, the best comedy duo. But really what this is about is the re- loosening of the restrictions on the name, image, and likeness, um, which is now, if you're wondering, you can now pay players not to go to college, technically, but you can pay players to use their name, image, and likeness as spokespeople, as advertisers, um, whatever. It, but basically is allowing now colleges to write a check to these players to come and play for them, which has made recruiting a completely different animal. So now the big schools and big locations with big media markets, like California schools or UCLA's or USC's, they're going to do much better under this because – they can offer money, they can offer Hollywood, they can offer fame and fortune. And schools like Alabama and Texas A&M and the Texas schools who have old money and lots of boosters willing to pay as much as possible, they're also going to win this battle. But a lot of schools are going to get caught in the middle because they just don't have the wherewithal, the funds, the exposure that these players want. And so, to me, the solution is very simple. If we're going to go ahead and give players money and the other thing that the other fear that's created by this before we get to my solution is players like professional athletes will just go where the money is play a year here and then another another college will say hey we can offer you more money why don't you come transfer so the transfer portal with the unlimited numbers of transfers without having to sit out has made college sports for all most of the colleges in between the extremes very very difficult so the solution seems to me if we're in for a dime, we're in for a dollar. If we're going to start paying players, you know, their name, image, and likeness money, make them sign contracts. Say, okay, you can. Here's five million dollars to be, a, you know, this barbecue hut spokesperson. Uh, but you're going to get five million over two years, three years, four years, whatever it is, and you actually have to stay with this school. 
just like any coach signs a contract, and if they quit, you know, that money gets offset. They don't get the money and their new money. So if you stay here, sign your $5 million barbecue hut spokesperson contract, and then you go to another school, you're done. You lose that money. And as the transfer portal, enough with the unlimited transfers. You get one freebie. That's it. You want to transfer once for whatever reason. I'm sure there are hardship exceptions and other exceptions that are just way too painful to get into. But basically, if you're an athlete and you transfer, you get one. You can still transfer, but after that, you got to sit out. In fact, each time that you transfer, first time you transfer, you got to sit out one year, second time, two years, until the point where it's ridiculous to even transfer because you'll be too old and your college career will be over. So there's, I'm not look, the the name, image, and likeness rights. That's already that's done. That's that toothpaste is out of the tube, as they say. But let's try to put some control on it. We don't want players hopping all over the country. I sign a contract. Coaches do. Why can't players? And if you break the contract, fine. You don't get your money, and any money you make from the next deal, you know, will offset whatever money we yeah, still owe. Once you get, yeah, but once you get into the contracts, and you got player agents, then you got unions, and then you got player right. associations, and it's you know. But they've already the done end, that. Yeah, they've the started end, that yeah. process by saying, "Here's we're not talking a couple hundred bucks for a Saturday car wash. We're talking for the biggest players, the biggest recruits, and even some of the players that are currently in college. Huge money, worth millions of dollars." To not to play at the school, ha ha ha, but to to lend your name, image, and likeness to some some sort of merchandise or some sort of company. And so, if you've gone down that road, you can't go halfway. You got to go all the way. And if it means agents and it means unions, that's kind of what college football and to a lesser extent college basketball is headed to anyway. You're going to have college sports for the non-revenue sports in the traditional college sports model. And then you'll have football and basketball that make all the money that feed the college, the other college sports at the school. And they have their own league. It can be another semi pro league, at least in football that plays Friday and Saturday gets you warmed up for the Sunday league. And for basketball, it's, you know, you got basketball season, NBA season, and then the off season, you've got this new semi pro league we call college basketball. You just you can't stop halfway down the road on this one. You're gonna have to send an email. Uh, send an email to who? To God? I don't. I don't know. Well, that sounds like a good name for an album. An email to God. That's our new rock album. There you go. I you know, this is it. This isn't my money. I have no idea. I mean, what a great problem to have if you're a player. You know? Yeah, it's not a question of we shouldn't pay players. Look, you want to give it. It's America. It's capitalism. You want to give. Uh, well then, well then, Rob, it's going to. This is still kind of new, right? Mm-hmm. As far as the NCAA is concerned, right? Right. It's generally new. So Four years in America, I know, but still, let, let it run its course. And right. once it, you know, bringing up this uh, feud between these two guys and, and and the whole, you know, when you when you look at it from above, it's like anything else in this country. You just let it let it grow a little bit, and when it becomes, it's it's obviously not to the point yet where they have to do the things that you're recommending. Yeah. I I think part of the problem was when they, when the NCAA said, okay, you know, we surrender, go ahead and have your nil rights, your name, image, and likeness rights in the transfer portal. Like a lot of companies and a lot of people, you never sort of think of the long-term and perhaps unintended consequences. You just, when you say, all right, everybody go, like you're opening the doors of Walmart the day after Thanksgiving, 
it's hard to to walk some of that stuff back. So perhaps thinking about it and saying, okay, we're going to let you do it. There are a couple of restrictions. You know, now it's easier to be much more harsh and then kind of ease back than it is to be all, you know, total flexibility, completely permissive, and then trying to put some some regulations in place. It's kind of, you know, they, they tell us in teacher school that when you start every year in a classroom with the students, you want to be a little harsher and a little more extreme about things than you normally would be to give you room to move back. But when you start out way too easy and way too permissive, it's impossible then to then go the other way and and enforce more and more rules. So perhaps the NCAA, because when you say running the course, I don't know if it will, because the longer this goes with any any sort of regulation, without any sort of checks and balances, the harder it's going to be to to instill any of those checks and balances to actually enforce some of these restrictions. Same thing with the transfer portal. And that really is, that's harder for schools and coaches and players. Um, yes, even the players, because, you know, it, it's it's not just one school loses good player, another school gains that good player, takes a scholarship away from someone, you know, who's put the time in. And then that player then has to transfer someplace and hopes he or she can get another scholarship. And again, I'm all for moving and I'm all for paying but not just with complete and utter freedom, with no real sort of consequences. Like a consequence is probably is the wrong word to use, but just, you know, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. You bro. care. You care, Robert. That's what. That's all this is. But it's not about me saying, oh, these players shouldn't get paid. What do I care? It's just, I it's you're sending mixed signals, Rob. You're sending mixed signals. It's not my money. It's just have a contract like anything else. And, you know, well, don't take the money. get there. Let it breathe, Rob. Let it breathe. All right. Well, if I let it breathe, we wouldn't have a show. <laughs> There'd be nothing to talk about. Hey, you know, here's our show, everybody. Everything's great. We can talk about dog poop on our shoes for 90 minutes. Well, I mean, you, I know. No, it's a great conversation, but I, I, I'm sorry. I don't have a rebuttal. I don't have an answer. That's okay. You know? But I just think, like I said, when you're talking about other people's millions of dollars in a organization that's been you know making millions of dollars off the backs of kids for freaking decades i mean this is their problem and yeah. hopefully the kids will get a, a little slice of it and but I, obviously that's the thing right you were saying it before it's there's there's too many um there's a lot of issues here well you know i i don't want to go down this road because it will lead us to you know three hours of Really well, we intense. don't have three hours today. But we we don't. Gonna, how do you want to wrap this up? But I will say that the idea, when people say, well, these athletes have been exploited, which to a large degree is correct. But, you know, people forget. And I know, and you will know soon enough. College ain't free and college ain't cheap. And for most people that go to college, they and their families find a way to scrape together whatever they can to send them to school. So when you give athletes the chance to go to school for free it's not they're not quote being paid but they're not getting nothing they're not just showing up and 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 being used they are getting something in return now if they don't do anything with it or it's just a pretense to get them on the court on the field fine whatever but this idea that they're not paid they receive no benefits as someone who you know has two children in college 
I can tell you there's a benefit there. There's certainly not – college. Oh, I agree with you. So I, the, the, the Jay Billises of the world who talk about how athletes have been exploited for nothing, for no gain. Well, that's – what's the word I'm looking for? It's bullshit. Yeah, I think it's just so when, you, when, you, college, when, when you get into a, you know, a 40-man roster for a football team and you, you're talking about maybe you know, what kind of percentage actually goes on to have an NFL career. You know, so the, the actual, I'm talking about the actual product, like the, you know, the Fighting Irish, Notre Dame. I mean, this, there's going to be there's thousands of names throughout the history of the, of, the, of the actual team, the football program, that me and you are never, ever going to hear of. Right. And that, that, that game, that, that uniform, it's been turned into, it's been monetized over and over. Yes, I agree with you as far as athletes getting scholarships and everything else. And then the ones who are good enough will go on to NFL, I mean, not, yeah, NFL contracts, endorsements. They have, I agree with you, like they're given this great opportunity to go out and perform at a high level. And then you have all this potential to possibly make millions and gazillions of dollars. But the rest is a larger percentage uh, the bulk of the uh, the programs and the players that play that will not get a cent of that. Well, they will not get a, a taste of it, and that in itself, that's how that's what I mean. Where all these colleges, the big colleges, obviously, um, they make millions off of their football yeah. team. Not, and, and I, I think if they put your name on the back of a jersey or even your number and sell it, then yes, the person who wears that. Yes, jersey, I've I've said I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I can't go out and sell something with, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s face on it without getting sued, you know, because it's his name. It's his image, his likeness. And so for colleges for years have been, hey, you're our star quarterback. We'll just not put your name on the jersey, but everyone knows whose jersey it is and sell it. And you will not get, as Jim Calhoun once said, one dime back from this. And I that that is wrong. So, but. No, that's, that's the that's, way it goes, man. That's it. And, but here's the thing, too. The quarterback's jersey is going to sell a lot more than the placeholder's jersey. Yeah. And, and the same thing with um, the NCAA football video games. Somebody's making money off these games using players that represent players in every college. And, whether it, and, it, the and they get no money, and now they do, which is how this whole thing started. And it should be me and you, and that's the wrong thing about this whole thing. Yeah. It should be me and you. And that's how we'll end this segment by saying it should be you and I getting money for something. All right. Hey, now. Let's go to the rinks, the hardwood, and the diamonds, where all the real action's going on. We got NHL playoffs. A team from New York there is two wins away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the Celts are playing the Golden State Warriors. And uh, the two of the best teams in baseball are also from Nueva York. How about that, baby? That's oh. a time to be in New York. Digging it, baby. Uh, we have two series going on, and so far, uh, only one team has a victory <laughs> in the West and in the East. It's what three <laughs> nothing Colorado and two nothing New York, which I won't say too loudly. Ixnay on the Inks, Jay. I know, dude. They are playing with such house money right now. The Islander fans right now are just sick to their stomachs. <laughs> they should be. <laughs> if the, uh, if the um, New York uh, Rangers. Knock out the Tampa Bay Lightning and go to the Stanley Cup final after the Islanders two years in a row lost to them. Uh, it's going to be pretty sickening. It's going to really put a cap on an ugly, ugly year for the New York Islanders here on Long Island. Not only not making the playoffs, uh, having a lousy season, 
firing their coach. A 12-game winless streak, something like that, to open up the new arena this year. Uh, the injuries, and then, like you said, capped off with the shocking firing of Barry Trotz. Yeah. But it hasn't happened yet. Nope. Nope. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is do any chicken counting. Hey, look, I just, this is house money, man. These kids are unbelievable as a New York Ranger fan. I mean, we all know they're good. We all knew they were good. And then, you know, I keep, I keep yeah, you've seen me on Twitter. Once again, I'd like to thank Tom Wilson <laughs> for turning turning the fortunes of my New York Rangers around. You're uh, welcome. Because it's unbelievable what's happened. But, hey, look, you know, uh, you know, Jury's just, he did a phenomenal job at the trading deadline because Cop and uh, Mott, uh, Braun and Vetrano have been just huge cogs uh, mixed in with, you know, the superstars on our team who are all, you know, in their t- they're all 20-somethings. Foxy, Keandre Miller, Truba, you know, Kreider, Zabanajad, Panarin. And then you got the kid line now, and that's that's been the big difference because these kids have been incredible. That's Heedle, Lafreniere, and Kako uh, mixed in there. They brought in, you know, the, even the kid Schneider back there on, on the uh, another great young prospect for us, just playing amazing. And my favorite Ranger, uh, Lindgren, uh, number 55, number one in my hearts because he's just a warrior back there defensively. And then you tie that all together with a very experienced coach and Mr. Gerard Gallant, and we've got some magic going on. And these guys have earned their stripes. I don't want to hear anything about the, the goalies they faced in the first couple of rounds. Uh, they, were down, uh, they were down in both series, and they came back and won two game sevens, and, and now they are two games up on the defending Stanley Cup champions, who... And- are amazing, and, and but they they do look a little tired, and maybe hopefully this is this is how things will pan out. But look, you know, it's it's hockey. Tampa wins today. The series changes like that. They may be complaining about who you faced, but now you're facing the best in the business. Yes, and also you broke the streak. That amazing streak of they had won eighteen. Tampa had won eighteen games in a row after losing the first game in a playoff series, and and you all busted that streak wide open. Um, it looks for all intents and purposes like Colorado's going to sweep Edmonton out the door in the West, which after the first game, the 14-goal explosion, I didn't think that was going to happen. But I I would like to see. I'm curious to see how the high-flying Lanch, the Avs, are going to do against either Vasilevsky or Shostorkin. So it should be – the finals should be a good series, whomever comes out of the East, um, offense versus defense. But well, obviously, I'm I'm rooting for, you know, the blue shirts. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a ton of hockey left here. And uh, there's no doubt. Like, it happened last night for Colorado. They lost Kadri. He's out now for the rest of the series. He's, he's probably done for the Stanley Cup Finals. So he's a key player on that team. So he gets um, – Evander Kane hits him last night underneath. Uh, I haven't read exactly what the injury is, but I think he broke something, his arm or something, and he's out so that's a key component of the avalanche. If you want to talk about the West, I think it's a bit of a shit show. Uh, ne- neither goaltender is good. I mean, the kid who's playing, the rookie now is playing for um, avalanche. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. Kemper, yeah, Kemper, was, Kemper wasn't that good anyway. He's not, you know, he's not a superb number one goalie. He's been a, um, you know, like a traveling goaltender. He's gone from team to team. I mean, Mike Smith, he's a sieve, and, and no disrespect to him either, but he's 
He's a warrior. But he's old. He's, he's old. He's tired. He just can't. He doesn't have it anymore. And he's had to play a lot of hockey. And, and it just shows. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. So I agree with you. The, the Stanley Cup champion, barring like what happened to Colorado last night, barring if Tampa comes back in the series and or the Rangers continue to move on and they get out of it healthy with everybody intact, they don't lose any key players. I do believe the Stanley Cup will stay in the Eastern Conference because, you know, from the net out, you know, you can have Landeskog and McKinnon and McCarr and all that firepower over there, and you ju- now you lost Kadri. They do not match up defensively. They're top four defensemen on either Edmonton or Colorado and absolutely in goaltending. Because I'm even telling you right now, if Chef Sturkin went down, Georgiev is a fantastic backup, even though he's had his, his, his problems during the season when he's had to fill in. But any... But the kid's been with the organization now for about three or four years. And when Georgiev, in the past, when he gets on a run where he's got to play two or three, four games, he's a solid goaltender. He's excellent. So, mm-hmm. and, and obviously, if Vasilevsky and these guys come back, you know, I, I just don't see, I don't see Colorado beating the Rangers or Tampa Bay. The now, only thing that would make, by the way, this series better from the perspective of the Rangers is if somehow, some way, even sitting on the bench as a veteran backup, if the King were still on the team. Well, you know, it's funny. Somebody made a comment the other day, uh, cause Hank's doing all the, um, Ranger pregames and postgames and he's, and he's done a couple of stints on TNT. Uh, Hank's amazing. He's, um, he's really a fantastic analyst. Like he's, he's, he's just really been great. He's been a joy to watch and everything. And somebody made a point the other day, like he's been so, like, here's a guy that if these guys go on to win this thing, right, and the fact that they've now gotten back, they're, they're two games away from getting back to the Stanley Cup Finals, right? And Hank was part of all those, you know, uh, lots of Western, uh, Eastern Conference Finals and obviously the, the Stanley Cup run in 2014 and, and fell short. And he's been, you know, the main guy for 15 years. And now he's only been retired, what, two seasons? And, you know, you throw COVID in there and his heart thing and everything and not playing at Washington. But it's a very, very short time that this New York Rangers team is going to be back in the Stanley Cup Finals, and it's a pretty damn good team that might actually win it. But what I'm getting at is what somebody else had said the other day. He's been a consummate professional uh, advocating for these guys, been happy. He could technically, you know, you could say he could be this grumpy old, mad, miserable guy. Oh, I can't believe this is happening or whatever. But he's uh, he's really enjoying this, and it's just an, it's an testament to the kind of person he is. And you know that if they would, if the Blue Shirts were able to win the Stanley Cup this year, my God, he'll he'll be he'll be he's he'll be very much involved with the celebration. Yep, he'll be and in the. He, and he's been a huge part of teaching Georgiev and Shesty how to get to this level. So he's 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 got his finger, a little finger, a little toe, or maybe bigger than that, a full hand, or uh, anyway, heart and soul of, of being a part of this organization. So yeah, look, it, it happens. I mean, I'm sure there's there's tons of sports moments and championships that we're forgetting here. That you know that's that's happened. Some guys get close and then they just don't win. You know, we don't have enough time to really go into that. But, hey, as a Ranger fan, um, you know, these uh, kids are all 20-something years old. This is two to three years down the road we were looking at. And yeah, they've just got – they're getting three rounds of playoff experience that they, they wouldn't have had. So you take this now and starting next year, even if they 
if they lose the finals, I mean, it's just all of us here as fans are like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. But yeah. they've got a real damn good chance of winning this thing if they stay healthy and continue to play smart. And, this is uh, not a one-and-done veteran team that was that's going to do this and then, you know, we'll never hear from them again. This is a team that's, you know, built for the future. Technically, yes, built for now, but really built for the future. So whatever happens, as you said, after this year, they'll be back again in contention next year and the year after and throw in a couple high-quality free agents if need be. And, um, you know, you guys are built for the long run. And the Islanders, the, Islanders are, the Islanders are in shambles. The Devils are still trying to figure it out. They beat Carolina. Pittsburgh and Washington are definitely going to be on a downturn. Yes. So they, they could run the Metro here for, for quite a while. And then if you look at what's going on in as far as the rest of the Eastern Conferences, you know, Tampa Bay, if they lose this, they're still going to be back next couple of years. Their guys aren't all that old. There's still a lot of experience there and stuff like that. But, you know, you look at Toronto, you look at, um, you know, Montreal, you look at the rest of the teams, Buffalo's not good, you know. And I mean, this the Rangers could be a real big powerhouse here <laughs> in the Eastern Conference for the next few years. So, Poor Buffalo. Well, it'll be fun. Tonight's uh, what, 3 o'clock, buddy. Beach. 3 o'clock matinee. 3 o'clock. I'll be All on right. the beach, watching it on the beach with my toes in the sand. With All the right. And unlike the NBA, which we'll get to in a moment, you guys actually you know, play hockey roughly every night and then every other night when you get to the finals. Not this. We'll start the series on Thursday and then the NBA and you got to wait all the way till Sunday for game two. I understand. I'm sure there's TV reasons and such, but just – I like how in the NHL, it's just every night you got a playoff game. And if not every other night, because it's unrealistic to say, let's just play seven nights in a row when you get to the finals. But until then, it's just a steady stream. And I think uh, the Rangers are probably going to lose the next two. No, Mr. So, no, and no, the reason is, is it's a plan. <laughs> it's it's what they did. Uh, you know, they want what they want to do here is uh, let the avalanche rest a while mm-hmm. and get stale like Tampa did. <laughs> <laughs> Take them in the finals. Well, I'll tell you, if you if you, if it goes all the way to seven, God, that'd be a great game seven. Just no, as a, dear or, Lord, I, we've had two game sevens already. I've had enough. Yeah, but as as a as a technically objective fan of just the sport to see those two teams in a game seven, even though I have a rooting interest, to me that would be great. No but way. I, for you, I hope they can wrap it up in as few games as possible. Not oh. get. Game seven. They they gotta go. They gotta win tonight. They just gotta put the nail in the coffin. They just have to find a way. The Rangers have to play today like it's game seven. Yeah. You have a chance. You're you're this close to going to the finals and you're you're this close to putting away the best team in hockey for the last, you know, two years in a row here. You gotta do it. Yeah, well listen, I like your chances a lot better if you can steal one in Tampa. House money, baby. I know. It's still, but it's We got to win two. The Bolts got to win four. So yeah. you got the last two games in the garden. So you're, you're in the better spot. You're in the catbird seat, as they say. yippee ki All right, well, what's going on over in the hoops? How are the hoops going? It. Um, well, a, a month ago, they started the NBA Finals, Golden State and Boston. And the playoffs, which were kind of a snooze, the whole playoffs for the NBA, got really exciting Friday night and Sunday night with uh, – Miami and Boston, the Eastern Conference Finals, which went seven games with Boston prevailing. Um, I thought, well, when I watched the Eastern Conference Finals, I said, you know, if if Miami wins, somehow pulls it out, they're gonna, it, they could be swept, if not just out in five. 
then when Boston won, I thought, all right, you know, Boston, I, I predicted the beginning of the series, uh, Golden State in six, because Golden State will take a night off like they always do in the playoffs. Um, and then Boston will find a way to sneak out another victory. But after watching the game uh, Thursday, you know, I, I'm, I was sort of in and out of the game, especially in the, you know, the Golden State was leading the whole time, entering the fourth quarter. They're up by 12 points. You think, all right, well, what else is on? Because <laughs> Golden State doesn't give up leads. They've got, you know, that core three of Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson. They've won three others. They've been to a bunch of finals. They know what they're doing. Uh, and then Boston outscored them 40 to 16 in the fourth quarter. Now, I know Boston is the better defensive team, but Golden State does play defense. And it is the it is the I almost said Stanley Cup. It is the NBA Finals. <laughs> so the fact that that they came back and just not only beat them but crushed them, they they basically played Golden State's game in the fourth quarter, leads me to believe that. And this is great if you you know love the NBA and especially if you're you know counting the TV dollars. I, I see this now going seven. Although game one of any series is always the least meaningful. So if Golden State comes back today and just beats the living snot out of Boston, then we can go back to the, you know, Golden State Warriors in six. But if these games, if game one is a sort of small slice of how this series is going to go, you know, buckle up for a seven-game series. Um, And Boston, like New York, like the Rangers, they're not just built to win today and, Mm -hmm. you know, see you later tomorrow. This is a team with Tatum and Brown and defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. They've got their own core three. Um, they got a couple old guys too, you know, but then so does good mix state. They have a good mix. They, they'll be in contention next day. A good coach whose name I can never pronounce, but, uh, this is his first year since Matt Stevens and Matt Stevens, good coach, maybe a better GM. You know, he stepped down after last year to become president of basketball operations and he's made a couple key moves, um, you know, at the trade deadline and, um, you know, bringing in Derek white from San Antonio and he's been a big player in the big part of that Boston run. So, and since January they've had the best record in the NBA and they have Steve Kerr's number. Boston always seems to do well against the Steve Kerr led Warriors. So it could be good. And then, as I said today, golden state wins by, you know, 50 points and I could be like, well, it's over for Boston. Thanks. (laughs) But they'll certainly be back in contention again next year. Um, And as with golden state, golden state, they're just reloading. Yeah. and Wiggins and Kavon Looney, and then if they ever get you know James Wiseman to actually play, I mean that core three will give way to new players, and they'll they got a great coach and Steve Kerr. So Golden State's not going anywhere, not for a while, and it's good to see because you know Clay Thompson missed almost two years with injuries, and it would be nice if they could win another one without Kevin Durant, just to say look. Those guys say we're the reason why we win championships. It was nice having Kevin Durant here, but we don't need him. We can win with him. We can win without him. So we'll see. And by the next time we do a show, there will still be only two games in the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals played. So whenever we appear again, the finals won't be over because they play, you know, two weeks between games, it seems like. (laughs) Hopefully we get a show in before both the Stanley Cup and the NBA finals are concluded. So we fabulous predictions, our Stanley Cup final prediction of how many games and who's going to win. But we're not going to say who's going to be there. No. Although we do know that Colorado is probably going to be representing the West. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much a given. You can, yeah. you get any of you uh, online gamblers and 
DraftKings and all that other stuff, Caesars, put the house yeah. on the Avalanche to win that series. It's Please. over and done. Hey, look, I like, uh, I like, you know, I always like, you know, you know, I've always had a, you know, Boston for me, mm-hmm. you know, the Patriots and the Red Sox, obviously, as a Yankees fan, uh, you know, I'm, like I am, have no, no pain in my heart for the fact that the Sox are struggling this year. Um, but, you know, the Celtics just, you know, growing up as kids, like guys like me and you, dinosaurs like we are, you know, Larry Bird and, and all the great players that used to play for Boston and the, uh, and obviously for me, the Irish thing and the, all that other stuff. I've never really had a disdain or, or hatred towards the Celtics. And, and the Knicks and the Celts never really had any major rivalries during the years, you know. Primarily, no. the Knicks, maybe, Knicks rarely ever got a yeah. sniff. Maybe in the early seventies, when kind yeah. of Knicks and the Bucks won a few of those championships that the Celtics used to win. But yeah, right, there've never really been. I mean, in the nineties, it was always the Pacers, you know, and yeah. um, so it was never really a, a Celtics thing. So look, if the Celtics can pull this off, that that's fantastic, and I think it's great for the NBA if they can do this too. And you know, again, you you bring up how it's a great mix of, of everything that I've got going for them, and it's a great uh, building block. You know, you, you look at the Rangers, what they're doing as an organization here, and everything that they went through, and and they seem to have the right guys in, in place right now. And obviously, the players are performing. You know, the guys don't perform on the ice, the players don't perform on the court. It it it, it just basically everything gets blown up, and and this is where you have the turnover, but. It is, uh, I think it's a tip of the hat to the organizations to how they're both doing. And, and I mean, how the Rangers young team is doing and how the Celtics are doing here up against, obviously, the Warriors. You know, just this great organization, this great team, great coach, and now how the Rangers are so far doing well against, you know, John Cooper and the, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, which have just been a phenomenal organization the last couple of years. So, and, and here's the most stuff. important stat I've heard, that since 2000, for all the people that complain, woe is us in Boston. Boston has appeared in the finals of the four major sports since 2000, 19 times. Yeah. Obviously, uh, nine Super Bowls, three Stanley Cup finals, three NBA finals, and four World Series. So, you know, enough with the Boston already. <laughs> enough. <laughs> enough with the Boston. You've owned the 21st century. We get it. We get it. Good stuff. So. All right, pal. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you want to talk about baseball? Because, you know, it's, there's only one team to talk about, buddy. The best team in baseball is from the Bronx, baby. All right. I, I, I'll give you a moment to uh, to toot your own horn. Uh, we don't do that. Yankee fans don't do it wrong. What, don't, what do you mean Yankee fans don't, don't do, do that? that? We're not like that. We're the sure you are. Come on. Come on. You play in New York. You guys love to trump it out here, even when you're not. Going for, you know, I might have 40 wins by the end of this weekend and only 15 losses. Okay, we don't do that stuff. You guys, um, what did I read that? Um, how do you pronounce Jameson? Is it Talon? Tyon? How do you pronounce his last Tyon. name? Tyon. Tie-in. So he went six innings of a perfect game, and the next night Garrett Cole went seven innings. I think they were the first teammates to. Cortez has been going. Go seven, back. I mean, back. the whole everybody Severino when he's gotten in there too. They're all going six, seven. I mean, no, but I mean, per, I'm saying he he threw six innings of perfect. Yes, ball. yes. And then the next night Garrett Cole went seven innings. I think mean, the first teammates to do that ever, um, to go each one go that far into a 
into a perfect game. No, but they, neither one threw a perfect yeah, game. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that's really scaring the bejesus out of everybody in the league right now. That's pitching now, finally. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, but their their middle relief. I mean, they haven't needed Chapman at all. Mm. You know, I mean, Holmes has just been amazing. I mean, it's it's just it's a, a very very well-rounded lineup. And then Carpenter comes in here and hits four home runs for us. I mean, you know, it's just a well-balanced Carpenter from the Cardinals' scrap heap? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just... Look, uh, it's been really enjoyable to watch. I love Booney. I'm so happy that this is working out for him. And I think, I, you know, I said when we at the beginning of the season, they took care of a lot of issues. You know, Voight, Sanchez, get him out. Uh, Rizzo... Everyday first baseman, fantastic. I mean, and they're doing this with Hicks and Gallo still struggling. If and and Booney's hanging in there with them because you have to believe that those guys are going to click in. And if those two guys click in on top of what Judge is doing, and you know, twenty one homers, DJ Lemayo. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, it's you know, Stanton's even with Stanton being out with the ankle injury, it's just. Everybody's chipping in. I mean, you guys are used to Stanton being out. This is nothing new. <laughs> yeah, but they've got guys, you know, who are hitting. You know, I mean, there's so many guys in this lineup right now, and that's been something really nice to see with Booney being able to bring guys in off the bench, bench players to come in, and they're and they're just they're playing small ball too, which is huge, and uh, it's just a well-rounded thing. Look, they're proving it. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat now, and they're they've been matching up really well against. You know, either splitting series or having good series against uh, you know some of the top teams in the league, and you know this is the toughest division in the uh, in baseball with Toronto and Tampa Bay, and it's it's you know will Boston turn it around? We don't know. And your Baltimore Orioles are you're stealing games from people. They're not a they're not a walkover yet. You, you got to play the Orioles smart, or they will they'll beat you if they can, and that's promising for that organization going forward too. And There's a lot of optimism here since we've spent a lot of time waiting for the team to finally make a turnaround. Yeah. I'm not saying it's you know coming next year or they're going to be the Astros and win a bunch of World Series or even go to the World Series, but they can pitch finally. The hitting is having a little trouble catching up, but it will finally. Cedric Mullins is in a deep freeze, but you know Moncastle's hitting, and Trey Mancini will probably be traded at some point is hitting. Uh, they finally called up the phenom, Adley Rutschman, who, after having a great debut, is finding it, you know, is the typical adjustment to the major leagues. But he's going to be really good, to, if not great. The only sort of dark cloud hanging over the Orioles at the moment is uh, our best pitching prospect and one of the best prospects in all of baseball. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez had the dreaded diagnosis of, you know, arm soreness. He left a game last week after throwing five and two-thirds scoreless innings with um, sore lat soreness, which is not the same as elbow soreness, but he's going to be out six, eight, ten weeks, a significant amount of time, according to general manager Mike Elias. So, you know, fingers crossed that it's when they say arm and lat soreness, that doesn't – the next piece of news is not, you know, he's getting Tommy John surgery, and we'll see him in 2024. Um, but, you know, the, the team's pitching – Hitton's coming along. They're 22 and 29, 22 and 30. I, I probably it was July before they had 22 wins last year. So, yeah, they're not – it's not the team that they've been the last few years. Still bad, but reason for optimism. Yeah, man. No, it's good. Hey, and there's a lot of baseball left, and with the new playoffs, you never know. But uh, it's See, it's not easy playing in division with the Yanks and the Blue Jays. 
and the Rays. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, that's that's a murderer's row. And, you know, if the Sox can get their act together, although we've owned the Sox this year. but And, and, and also, a, a lot of people didn't give uh, the Yankees a sniff this year, and here they are leading the league. When we go to the uh, the uh, the freeway series or the Interstate 95 series and we play the Nats, as long as we have a winning record against the Nats every year, to me that's a successful season. Rob, everybody is beating the Nats. So don't True. Even worry about it. But even when they're good, we it's always a, manage a, to play them tough. The big reason the Mets are in first place too, and uh, you know I never tip my cap to the Metsies, but this is they're on. This is the this is the month now for them. I mean they 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 beat up the Dodgers nine four last uh, last night, and you know they're going to be playing some of the top teams uh, in June uh, over these next couple of weeks with the Angels, I believe. Um, They've fallen up San Diego and everything else, and they're doing this without their their top guns, so. Uh, you know the Metsies to me. I always tell the fans, "Well, let, let's see how they're doing in August." You know, but you, you know, may not. You may not take your hat off to them, but you'll you'll put it at a jaunty angle for them. How about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's it's they should with the amount of money they spent. But hey, look, uh, Buck Showalter is doing a good job. You know, you got a good guy behind the bench there who you are very familiar with as well, yes. including me. So um, big fan, yeah. big fan. Yeah, Brewers doing well. I mean. The Phillies, we'll touch on this real real quick, and then I know you want to just go over the Tim Anderson, uh, Josh Donaldson thing that happened uh, almost a month ago, but we'll bring that up. But um, we'll wrap up here, the baseball here. Uh, Girardi gets fired in Philly. Yes, hold on, hold on. It, this it gives me a chance to play this clip. Wait, Joe Girardi. You're fired! <laughs> I think Joe that's what they – I think the, uh, the Philly fanatic actually came in with that soundbite. I mean, I think – he was actually the one who gave Joe the news. Can you imagine? So, again, a little theater of the mind. You're Joe Girardi. You're sitting in the office. Here comes this big green creature dressed in a Phillies uniform with no pants, I might add. <laughs> and he looks at you. You look at him, and he says, You're fired! With his head spinning around, tongue out. You're fired. That's that's a brutal way to be let go. But, yes. Show note, by the way, uh, in two weeks, I will be having a photo op with the Philly fanatic. Hopefully he doesn't say you're fired. No, he won't. Girardi. No. Yeah, Joe Girardi fired. The Mets Not are surprised. The Phillies are twenty-two and twenty-nine. You know, he was one ten and one twelve in his two and change seasons with the Phillies. But as always, the question is: Is he really to blame? Is he the one to blame that the team can't play defense? Is he the one to blame yes. that? Yes. When Dave Dombrowski, another guy I'm familiar with, uh, formerly here, put together a team. That was built around designated hitters. Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, uh, they're great as designated hitters, but then oh, what, happens, what happens when Bryce Harper goes down, which he did with That's a serious injury? Joe's fault. Then you got to put those guys out in the field, and they can't play defense to save their lives. Their corner infielders also can't play defense. So is it really going to make a difference to fire him in season? Yes. Probably not. I know you say he does. I would, I'm surprised there's so much animosity towards the last – Yankees. No, I I I love Joe Girardi. I hated when he got fired. You, you have to. I've always said when you fire a manager or a coach in any sport, that you kind of have to take the GM with him because they're responsible for what's on the field and what you do with those players. I agree with you there too. Falls on the manager. So if you're going to clean house, if you're the owner of the Phillies, I would say to both Joe Girardi and Dave Dombrowski. You. Because Dombrowski kind of put together a team that was not meant to survive any sort of injury. I'm sorry, that Bryce Harper injury 
putting Castellanos and Schwarber out in the field, it's kind of killing them right now. That's not Joe Girardi's fault. Now they're losing close games, bullpen decisions. That falls squarely on the shoulders, you could argue, of Girardi. But otherwise, you know, well, here's his thing. A lot right? of that's out of his hands. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. So like, so now that I love Joe, loved him here as a Yankee. He had a totally different set of circumstances. You know. Four or something, ninety plus, you know, winning seasons here and the championship, and obviously with a nine hundred you know, wins. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, Joe did damn well here in New York, and and when you're a fan of the team, you know, it's it's a different vibe. So now Joe goes to Philly, and I look, I was hoping Joe was gonna, you know, have ride the Phillies this year. They hope that you know with the signings, they went a great uh, season. My prediction was Phillies Yanks in the in the in the World Series this year. The storybook movie, Joe Girardi going up against Booney and all that other stuff. It's it's done. But um, he's in the third year of his contract here. They went out and spent a lot of money. I'll tell you from um, spring training, you know, I watched a couple of Phillies games, and there was just something not there or whatever the heck it was. I, I, I can't put a – Well, he said the team wasn't even having any fun. Girardi said that about his well, own – yeah, so – that this falls is, on the manager. Yes. Well, I, well, I think it, it starts there. I mean, when you talk about defense and production and everything else, you know, you're 50-some-odd games into the season here. You know, and I'm not going to sit here. I don't know what it's like to be a manager of a baseball team and everything else. But I think, like I said, he's the timing of everything here, third year in his contract, and there's the Phillies just didn't show anything this year. So you can... If, if a team plays bad or if a team's in a developing situation and then you kind of kind of hang in there, you're going to, you know, you know, pull with the squad and hopefully they turn things around. But it just seemed like out of the gate, this team just flatlined. And there hasn't been anything there. There hasn't been any signs of them kind of really kind of turning things around. And I, I do think firing Joe Girardi was the right move because sometimes you just you don't have the room. And it's it's just it's not going to happen. Even though George Girardi, he's got Joe Girardi, George Joe Girardi, he's got this uh, great pedigree and everything else. But he's not managing the Yankees. He's managing the Phillies. It's a different vibe. Uh, what there was a guy earlier in the season. He was caught in a hot, hot mic. Like he hated playing for the city. Um, all this stuff was going on, so it's it's an overall bad vibe there. And, and when you don't you don't have that, there's a sense of pride because I think when you have pride and you have good vibes and everything else, you will play better defensively. Yeah. You will have better production at the plate. You will you will work through injuries. You look for that that whole th- um, kind of chemistry on a baseball team, uh, and you look for that in a manager to lead the way that way. And it just wasn't happening here. And I agree with you. The GM should be fired, too. Uh, they spent a lot of money as well, and it, it's not happening. But like I said, you can't – it's the same old adage, Rob. You can't fire all the players. Right. you got to fire somebody. So Joe's Joe's got to go. Now, Joe Girardi is going to be fine. He's going to nope, get nope. another job. Manage again. He will manage again, and it will probably be in a better situation. And a lot of guys sometimes when they have success with an organization – because it's emotionally, it's really tough to kind of, you know, especially when you're managing the Yankees and you have all that success, you get close to going back to the World Series again. You're pretty much loved and adored by the fan base, and then you go. And then you go to a place, your first your pers- your first post-success job doesn't work out well. And sometimes that's a good learning experience for the manager. And that's this is going to be good for Joe. Joe's got, he's going to have his choice of wherever the heck he wants to go. And 
Uh, normally, hopefully he uh, learns from this. Normally they just they just whack a hitting coach or a pitching coach or a bench coach, not the actual manager. But they did both. You know, Girardi was fired, and Bobby Meacham, who was his uh, his top assistant, was also given the can. So See normally that happens in season. Yeah, managerial managerial changes in season don't normally work out so well unless they can you know bring back Jack McKeon to do what he did with the with the Marlins in 2003 at 175 years old. Well, the only reason I was uh, showing any appreciation or liking the Phillies at all this year is because Joe Girardi was managing the team. But now that he's no longer with the team, I will go back to hating the Phillies as much as I hate the Eagles and the Philadelphia Flyers. Good. And the Sixers, who I really couldn't really care about. All Philly teams. Good luck, Philly. All Philly teams are evil. So good, good job on that one. All right, so the Yanks here. Back to them real quick. They've uh, this this past couple of weeks have been a lot going on. Obviously, the Josh Donaldson, Tim Anderson thing. Donaldson's back in the lineup. Uh, the Stanton injury. Um, you know, the, but the, the Yankees have played through it now. They're they're eight and two in their last ten. They, they got a win streak of five in a row here, and so the, the Yankees are fine. Okay, but I know you want to go back and talk to this uh, uh, talk about the Donaldson Anderson incident. So I will. Yeah. Send it back to you, sir. Um, there's a couple of things. I guess, too, do we want to – I guess we can put the Jim Cott thing on the back burner for a second. Yeah, this um, will be our last segment for the DOTW, my friend. That's fine. Um, I'll just set this aside right over cheer. Um, look, I, the story between about um, Tim Anderson of the White Sox, Josh Donaldson of your New York Yankees, I mean, there's apparently there's always been sort of a simmering – Feud between these two, but recently, and Josh Donaldson, I think, got a one-game suspension for this. One game, um, and then he got game. the vid. He used, he, he said to him, um, he said, what's up, Jackie, to Tim Anderson, which Tim Anderson and the rest of the hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing out there in social mediaville took to be an offensive racist comment because clearly he was referring to Jackie Robinson. Tim Anderson is black. And so people connected dots that may or may not have been there. The entire story, because nobody ever really wants to know the entire story is the comment that Josh Donaldson made. And we will talk about whether or not he should have made the comment or not, but what he was referring to, he didn't just pluck Jackie Robinson out of thin air because, Hey, it's a black baseball player. And Jackie Robinson was black. Um, Tim Anderson, in an article in April of 2019 for Sports Illustrated, was talking about um, baseball players not having any fun and certain uh, double standards um, for baseball players and athletes versus non-athletes and and why is it not okay to express your individuality on the field, et cetera, et cetera, and then made the statement um, that he considered himself – as the new uh, Jackie Robinson, because he was going to break the fun barrier. And I'm looking to find the actual quote, which of course, since I, I suck, I didn't actually highlight. Um, hold on, please hold. Anyway, he said, I guess I'm the new Jackie Robinson talking about breaking uh, the fun barrier in baseball. Um, to which I say, you know, it, this is not going to be about Tim Anderson, but really, if you call yourself the new Jackie Robinson when it comes to having fun in baseball and you're comparing yourself 
to someone who went through an absolute nightmare, hellish existence, breaking the color barrier in baseball, you're dopishly, hey, he could have been the dope of the week. You're dopishly, if we were doing a show in April of 2019, you're stupidly comparing to, I'll put these both in quote, barriers. So you kind of put yourself out there for ridicule and scorn, black or otherwise, when you call yourself Jackie Robinson, comparing having fun to breaking through decades of racism. So when Josh Donaldson says, hey, what's up, Jackie, and is referring to what Tim Anderson said in a Sports Illustrated article, calling himself Jackie Robinson, it's just, you know what it is? It's ball players talking shit to each other. I don't know much about Josh Donaldson. I don't know what kind of a history he has with Tim Anderson. I don't know if he's racist. I don't know if if he meant ill will or just as talking shit. But considering if if he really was going to throw some racial epithet at Tim Anderson, calling him Jackie, in this context, ain't it. It's just him talking shit to another ball player. But the outrage that it caused kind of says more about who we are than about who Josh Donaldson is, because we've taken something. I'm not going to say it's harmless, but does it rise to the level of racism and insensitivity when somebody calls themselves Jackie Robinson? And then you throw that back in their face is kind of a, yeah, okay, way to go, Jackie Robinson. Not because you're black, but because you call yourself Jackie Robinson, comparing breaking the fun barrier, which doesn't exist, to you know breaking the racial barrier, which absolutely exists, existed and made every minute of Jackie Robinson's life as a, as a major league player a horrifyingly awful existence. So I don't think he should have been suspended. I don't think there should have been benches clearing brawls. I think Tim Anderson should have shut up about it and probably Josh Donaldson too. Just agree. Hey, I just won't call you Jack anymore and let's just move on with our lives. But the outrage, the mock outrage that this caused was just, it was sickening, you know? And if he hadn't called himself Jackie Robinson, maybe it's a different story. Then maybe he can say, all right, we see what you're getting at, Josh Donaldson. But he was just throwing something back in his face that Tim Anderson himself put out there. And I know I'm in the minority in this one. but I don't so, think you are. I don't think so, you're in the minority. It's just I, how I feel. No, I don't think you're in the minority of this. And I think um, a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, I agree with everything that I you... I it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, what what gets what gets the bigger headlines and the clickbaits, right? It's the I'm, it's the blah, 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 right. right? That's get away. Um, I believe most people agree. My comment, not my comment. My feelings was on this. Look, currently, the the New York Yankees are one of the most diverse organizations in not only baseball but in sports. Uh, the obviously in the last. Uh, 10, 20, 30 years, some of its bigger stars of color. Uh, the fan base here in New York, absolutely one of the most diverse fan bases uh, yeah. in all of sports, in, in yep. all of the world. So, I believe melting like, pot I, is the word they use. Yeah, for? Well, the, the key <laughs> points you made there, because I felt, I don't know Josh Donaldson, I don't know Tim Anderson, obviously they've had a history. I understand the take, you know, how it, it, you know, I agree with the same take. He was just calling him, he was commenting him how he said what he said he was in a, a column. He was referring himself to, like, if somebody referred themselves to God, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I'm the greatest. Oh, you're the greatest. Oh, you're God. Whatever. So, anyway, that aside, the thing was for me is, so he gets the one game suspension. So, there was either one or two things were going to happen. 
And then he went on the COVID list, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. It was two things that were going to happen. Either Josh Donaldson was never, ever going to come back to the, to the Yankees because this, this isn't the first time this happened with any pro sports organization. Uh, they they kind of hush it, they quiet, they deal with it behind the things, behind the curtain. And then if Josh Donaldson didn't come back, because to me, the guys in the locker room, Aaron Boone, you know, the guys that Donaldson goes and, and plays, you know, they go to war on the field, they go on, you know, road trips together, they sleep together, they drink together, they eat together, they hang out together. Those guys will let us know whether or not Josh Donaldson is the evil, awful person that he's being perceived at. So I felt if Donaldson didn't come back from the suspension and COVID, then yeah, you know what? He's he's a bad guy, and, and guys like Rizzo and Judge and all those guys would have said, look, you can't have him in here. He's bad news. He's no good. Well, guess what? He's back in the lineup. He's playing. And I'm telling you, he would not be in the lineup if guys like Stanton, Judge, Chapman, the rest of these guys, you know, they would all have a say in this thing. So um, he he's back. He's playing. And <laughs> I, I think the league has to kind of – the one-game suspension, I don't have necessarily have a problem with it because I think every now and again you still have to let everybody know that, look, just it's not, just remember – we don't want racism, even a hint of it. And, and I think it's a lesson to, to uh, the shit stirs as well, too. You know, it's okay to put a pause on it and put a focus on it. And I do agree there has to be hopefully a good side of it, too. You know, I was I, my thoughts was, hey, maybe hopefully there'll be hugs in the infield down the road of when Anderson and the Yankees play again. There'll be some handshakes, and they'll put this behind it and move on. You have two massive egos, two massive personalities. Tim Anderson is this way, too, and it is what it is. But to me, in a small section, it's really between Donaldson and Anderson. And and I, I, we don't have enough time to kind of steer off into three or four or five other avenues here. But to me personally, as a Yankee fan, and you know me and you, I I loathe fucking loathe racism. I hate fucking racists. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a very soft subject with me, and I will I will fight for it um, for for any scumbag or any loser who who I deem is is that kind of a low life. Right here, I don't know Josh Donaldson. I don't think the in this. The incident brought it to that kind of level, and I just was like, hey, the guys, the the New York Yankees organization from players and managers, they will make the decision. They will let us know what kind of guy Josh Donaldson is, and you know what? He's back in the lineup, so if his teammates and that diverse organization and that management um, are confident enough in the fact that Josh Donaldson is not the kind of guy that everybody else is portraying him, then that's good enough for me. Yeah, I mean, and, and perhaps people in the White Sox organization ought to have said to Tim Anderson, "What are you doing? <laughs> you put yourself." Oh, I'm sure. I mean, but that's another thing too. We're not going to hear that. Stuff. But you know, this is, look, it's it's big pants, right? It's big boy world, right? It's it's crazy. The times today are nuts. Social media, everything else, it's nuts. But at the end of the day, for all of us who walk the good line and stuff, sometimes things have to be sorted out by the people that are actually involved because right. we don't see what goes on in the locker rooms. We don't go see what happens, you know, on the road trips. And a lot of that stuff gets buried, unfortunately. I mean, you can tell before we leave this that you can tell when a team, no matter what they say publicly, you can tell when a team is behind a player and when a team isn't. We had a quarterback here in Washington by the name of Jeff George that nobody liked. And from the outside... You know, people said this guy's a cancer in the locker room. Nobody likes him. He's a terrible player. 
But the truth was, and that was the truth, but no one really knew that until um, something very small happened. He was sacked um, when they were playing the Dallas Cowboys, and not a single one of his teammates came over to help pick him up. You know, and it's little things. No one put a hand out, no nothing. It's little things like that where you know that there are guys that just put up with someone and play with them, and then there are other guys that are embraced and liked by the team. So you're right. These things, the real, the people that are really involved, that really matter, his teammates, his coaches, executives, et cetera, if they welcome him back on a team as diverse as the Yankees, then that's really where we have to judge this and not, as you say, with what we think from the outside going, oh, it's terrible, it's awful, how could they do this? Look, you put yourself out there, you call yourself somebody, like you said, you call yourself Jackie Robinson, you call yourself the next Jesus, it's going to come right back to you. It's just guys being guys, yeah. women being women. It's just shit talk. And that, you know, and like, that, what you out just, there, that's yeah. what's going to happen. And you, and I think I agree with you 100. percent Like that line of guys being guys, the athletic uh, back and forth, uh, you know, the 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 chipping and the chirping. It's got to be there. Yeah. And I don't feel, you know, I agree with everything how you characterize it. I agree with you 100. percent And as far as organizations, you look at what the New York Rangers did. Uh, they kicked Tony D'Angelo out. He was just bad. I mean, the guys in the locker room decided, and the coaching and staff and, and the ownership there decided that Tony D'Angelo, uh, we don't know what was going on inside, but mm. in his public life outside, he was on social media. Tony D'Angelo was just a horrible person, and he's no longer with the organization. And since he's been gone, uh, the organization is is, um, is flourished and you know doing very well. And, you know, and that's hard because Tony D'Angelo was a 60-point player, and I commend the Rangers for at least um, you know, taking care of business there. But anyway, you, it is. got to win as a coach, as an organization. you got to win on the ice, on the field, and off the field. And if yeah. you got a player that the other players don't trust, can't play with, making their life difficult, ruining the team chemistry, they're out of here. Yep. Even if we don't see it as fans, we're like, what, this guy, as you said, this guy's a 60-point scorer. What the hell? And he's out of here because the team can't function properly with him on the ice. So that's, yeah, that's what matters. But, you know, not to the yellers and screamers on social media out there. They don't see it that way. All, All right. right. All right, buddy. Well, it's time. It's been a month. It is time. Are we ready? We're ready. Because it's time for the Dope of the week. That's awesome, dude. All right. So many of you thought that I would give the Gags gang the summer off, but no, we we drive this train all year. They get some time off. We had some downtime, but, you know, they were feverishly banging away at their computers in the basement of the Ghost Sports Media Complex because, as you know, the Gags gang and I, most of them, spend countless hours each week in the basement of the Ghost Sports Media Complex to come up with each week's winner, and you can for absolutely no reward, save for our undying respect and gratitude. Help pilot the show by nominating your own Dope of the Week. Use the hashtag DOTW on Twitter, at Cuthbert Live, at Bitter and Rage, at Sports Honchos, at Go Sports Media Co. Don't forget the Co. at the end of that. And who will be carrying the mythical Sports Honchos Dope of the Week cup around the ice rink of shame this week? Micah Parsons, Dallas Cowboys linebacker and reigning NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Way to go, Mike! Parsons was invited last month by the Hershey Bears of the AHL to take part in the ceremonial puck drop before their game against the Syracuse Crunch. 
I will add parenthetically, I love the names of minor league teams. The Jacksonville yes. Jumbo Shrimp, for instance. Love. The Altoona Curve in baseball, fantastic. Uh, Parsons played his college ball at Penn State and is from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, so it seemed like a great idea for a late-season promotion. One small problem, though. Uh, Parsons apparently knows nothing about hockey. Let's take a listen. Thank you, Harrisburg native Micah Parsons for dropping tonight's ceremonial puck and tonight's hometown hero salute. Yeah, I like that, that announcer there for the uh, he's got a future ceremonial sweater. So Parsons walked out to center ice in his handsome Hershey Bears number eleven sweater and just dropped the puck on the ice <laughs> and then headed back to the stands. Now I get it. <laughs> he was thirsty. <laughs> I get that hockey is a difficult game to watch for the uninitiated and is filled with many confusing rules like icing and offsides. However, what is so confusing about the puck drop? As the great Gordon Ramsay said about grilled cheese sandwiches, the recipe is the name. You drop the puck. It is almost as self-explanatory as the coin flip. Now, I get that Parsons is not a hockey fan and may have never even watched a game, so he may not have known that the puck drop takes place between the two opposing centers. However... He had to know that the puck drop was not to be taken literally as a walk out to the ice and just dropping the puck casually somewhere on the ice. We have all seen celebrities throw out first pitches in baseball, and there are probably quite a few of them that have never played or even watched baseball. You can certainly tell that from the way they throw the ball. However, not one of them ever interpreted the notion of the first pitch as just taking the ball and throwing it somewhere out on the field. The real issue is why Parsons would agree to do something he knew nothing about. I am sure Parsons is super busy, but how long could it take to Google puck drop? Or how about this? (laughs) When asked by the organization to perform the ceremonial puck drop, you may want to ask the team what they mean by, quote, dropping the puck. Perhaps he does not want to look foolish for asking, but isn't it better to look stupid in front of a few people as opposed to thousands of people? While we're on the subject, did it ever occur to Parsons as he reached the end of the carpeted part of the ice that merely dropping the puck seemed a bit anticlimactic for a ceremony. <laughs> the Hershey Bears organization actually reached out to Parsons on Twitter to apologize for not explaining how puck drop works. The Hershey Bears are an affiliate of the Washington Capitals, and they invited a player from the Dallas Cowboys to drop the puck. That is like the Hatfields inviting the McCoys over for dinner. Of course this is going to be a train wreck. That is why they should be apologizing. Perhaps the public relations director for the Bears can split this award with Parsons. So... Micah Parsons, for finding new ways to, quote, do that hockey, for pushing what some already perceived to be a niche sport further into the abyss, and for finally answering the eternal question of why mamas should not let their babies grow up to be cowboys, you, <laughs> of Sports Honcho's Dope of the Week. Congrats, Micah. Your certificate is in the mail. Way to go, Micah. <laughs> I mean, if you see the video, he just he walks out oh, and I'm just gonna look drops for it, it on now. the ice, and then starts to turn around and they have to go and they have to grab and say, "No, no, come on back! You got to drop it between the centers," and then shake hands. You got to send me that link, pal. <laughs> 
it, it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Just came out and dropped it. Like, I would like to share that with my hockey buddies. What do you think is happening with a puck drop? You don't just plop it on the ice. You can do that in the stands. It'd be like being invited out for the ceremonial first pitch. Walking out to the mound, the catch is not even there, and just throwing it against the yeah. back. Or just throwing it in the center field. <laughs> what are you doing? Everybody's watching you, not just going to go. And it just, the, the the confusion and disdain in his face. It's like, oh, here, I got a puck, I'll just plop it on the ice. I'm going to fire my PR agent. Who are what are you for doing? this shit? How about I ask him? I'm happy to do it, but what do you mean drop the puck? That's all it would have taken. And then, yeah, maybe later they laugh at you. Ha ha, this guy doesn't know what it is. But instead, you walk out in front of an arena full of people and you just chuck the puck on the ice and have to, they have to chase after you to say, no, 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 Micah, come back. Come back, buddy. Well, a, it's, time to chase, it's time to chase us out of here, buddy. We've yes. run out of pancakes. <laughs> buddy, it's great to be back, man. Oh, a lot of fun. And uh, for those of you out there listening and downloading and sharing, thank you so much. And uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll bring the shows back uh, spontaneously here yes. for the summer season. As me and Rob are, we are, uh, you know, we're toes in the sand kind of guys. We're happy. Yeah, but we'll be back. So uh, with that said, Mr. Uh, Cuny, uh, say goodbye to everybody. Well, welcome to the summer season, everyone. We'll be back. You know, when you least expect us, we'll just pop out of the ground. Boo! Scare the living Shinola out of you. Hey, everybody. We have no show without you, so thank you very much for listening, downloading, subscribing, all that Michigas. Um We do appreciate you. I know it's Sunday morning and not Wednesday night, so enjoy the rest of your day. As always, if you see Willie Mays or any member of his family out there, please give him a hug, fist bump, whatever you feel is comfortable in the COVID era. Uh, This rest this weekend and over the weeks that we don't see you, be nice to each other. Be safe out there. And as always, peace. And always make sure you report anybody who drops their dog poops into their neighbors. Yeah, stay out of our trash cans, folks. (laughs) Stay out of our trash cans. Woohoo! Have a day, everybody! Hot shows out! Woo!